Hey, mm-hmm. that's my kid. Oh, it's my child. Uh, sorry, I'll just. You want him back? Yeah. Get oh. out of here. Here you are. Thank you. All right, thanks. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host Joe. And I'm Ryan. The Mandalorian season three finished this past week, and we're here to talk about it. Full spoilers ahead for the season and for the series and for the book of Boba Fett as well. You've been warned. From this extreme long shot, oh, yeah. we zoom because <laughs> that's relevant to. I guess we have to talk about it. Yeah, a little bit. Again, call back to episode one. From this extreme long shot, we <laughs> zoom into our medium shot. So, what's your history with the Mandalorian series? Because we never really talked about it uh, in length before. Um. Well, I think honestly. My history with the Mandalorian series is also my history with Disney Plus, where it was like, do I really want to get Disney Plus? And then they were like, oh, we're going to release this Star Wars show when Disney Plus launches. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll check it out. And then that's kind of just kind of been hanging on in from there. Uh, Star Wars was at like a really weird place around that time. It was, I think, late or Early 2020 or maybe late 2019? I can't remember. 2019 or so, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. So it was in a really weird place around that time, but um, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed season one, enjoyed season two even more. Book of Boba Fett happened, and then this season happened. So that's my history. Yeah, Star Wars was in a dark place around 2019 when this show came out. We're just coming off the back of The Last Jedi, which infamously pissed off half the fan base me included Uh, and then we got solo a star wars story which most people were just kind of met about so star wars on screen was on in the movie theater was basically dead at this point fan response to the series is at an all-time low and then comes the mandalorian which launched disney plus so you know, that was a that was a big marketing boost for them as well. I mean, I got Disney Plus just to see this show, and I've kept it ever since. So, I guess it worked. But, yeah, The Mandalorian was a breath of fresh air in the Star Wars franchise when it first came out. It, was, it took it back to its Western roots, felt like the original series had more of those, had a lot of the practical effects, had the right vibe took the inspiration from one of the coolest-looking characters in cinema history, Boba Fett, and shocked us all by not making it Boba Fett. So it was just surprises after surprises. Oh, and then he's teaming up with Baby Yoda, who we now know as Grogu. So that was something different as well, a Mandalorian and a Jedi. It was, it was pretty interesting for the time and even for today as a Star Wars project. I'm glad it's been able to maintain its more focus nature and not get too into the weeds with everything um it's like setting up the sequels and everything although we're starting to get more there to mixed results as it goes but uh yeah i was never as big a fan of the mandalorian as other people i've always been well we'll get into our close-up and i'll i'll explain a little (laughs) bit more now but Yeah, so my thing here is The Mandalorian has always been a bit perplexing to me because ever since it came out, people have been raving about it. And I've always said, look, I get that it was the best Star Wars we had at the time. And it is still 
up there in terms of good Star Wars, but I never understood the hype around it that much. And that's why when people are starting to turn on it in season three, the critical reviews have been a lot more scathing this year, and so have the audience reviews. And I look at what people are saying about it, and I'm like, I've had these problems with the show since day one. I don't know why people are just complaining about it now. Maybe it's just because it's four years on from when the show first started. We've had a long wait between seasons. People are getting sick of the formula, maybe. It's not surprising enough anymore. But I just, I just need to make clear that a lot of problems people have with this show have always been a problem with this show. And if anything, I think season three did a lot of stuff better than previous seasons. I'm of the opinion that it, it fixed a lot of things I've had problems with for years, which we'll get into more details as it goes. But I just needed to say up top, I don't, I don't get, like, I get where people are coming from. I just don't get why they're coming from there now, of all times. Because I'm like, oh, you just, okay, you just joined the party, thanks, <laughs> mm-hmm. from my perspective. This wasn't meant to be a debate episode, but I feel like it's gonna. It's be. gonna be one anyway. Because <laughs> you are not as big a fan of this season, am I right? I mean, I think this. I think season. I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's as bad as people are saying. I just think it's kind of mediocre. I don't think it's well, right? What do you? you what know, do you as mean? Phenomenal as mediocre isn't a thing on the internet. It's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. Pick a lane. <laughs> Uh, then it's the best thing ever. <laughs> okay. That's not the way I thought you were going to go, but welcome to Sense the sarcasm. No, it's just, uh, I mean, like, yeah, we're going to get into it, but it's just, I think the main thing is that the formula hasn't changed, especially in between, like, if you would go back and look at season one and then season three, it's the exact same formula. There mm-hmm. is two main story episodes at the beginning and then a little bit of filler throughout the whole season and then the final two episodes are action-packed story-driven and i think for season one and two it worked out well but after the book of boba fett where let's just say it grogu and dinjarin's story is just kind of brought to a close it was a natural close too in season three yeah like what do you do in season three and I guess Disney answers or John Favreau answer was nothing. We're just going to focus on Bogotan, which is fine. That's not but nothing. It kind of just makes it feel like I didn't say it was nothing. Yeah. Personally, that was a brilliant move because that was the only move they really had. Mm-hmm. Like you said, season two. And they make you know, it the very- Bogotan show. Don't make it about Mandalorian if you're not going to have Mandalorian, who's your main character, be in. Like, be the focus point of it. You can have side characters be the focus point of multiple episodes, but you're not, you're not like expanding Grogu and Dinjarin's story at all. And that's not to say that they couldn't, because it's going to be tough. Like, how do you? Because in Book of Boba Fett, that was their story and it was brought into two different episodes. But, But then for them to just be like, Oh, well, it happened in Book of Boba Fett, so there's nothing we can do or even really try to do in season three. That, that to me, kind of just being like, okay. I'm going to be sure. say this a lot, but I'm of two minds on this decision. Because on the one hand, if I'm looking at this objectively as somebody who watches a lot of TV, I think it's really cool and ballsy to have your protagonist basically switch in season three after a slow transition 
the previous protagonist passes the torch on uh, a new main character. And the show didn't advertise this, and I think that was partially the problem, is people going in with different expectations. But, like, if I'm just looking at this as somebody who watches a lot of TV, that's something I can't say I've seen very often, that a show has the guts to say, you know what? Our protagonist for the first two seasons, his story came to a natural close. So we're not going to write him off the show. He's just going to take a bit of a, a more of a background role this year as we focus on somebody with an actual story to tell this year. Lady Bo-Katan Kreese, the rightful heir to Mandalore, has to regain her faith in the way to unite her people and retake her planet. And Din Djarin doesn't do nothing, mind you. It's not his story, because the first few episodes wrapped up the last plot threads. He got his redemption. He's not an apostate anymore. He got to bathe in the waters, retake the creed. He's welcome back. But without Din Djarin, you got to think about it this way. It's his faith in his religion that inspires everything that happens in this season, and for the whole show, in fact. Because he is the one who, he's the Mandalorian who goes out into the world, who participates in it. He's the one that all factions know. The Imperials, the New Republic, the other Mandalorians. And he's kind of what the representation of a Mandalorian is to a lot of people, because not a lot of people know one. And even, and even Bo-Katan, who's been a Mandalorian her whole life, was raised in the culture. She's never seen somebody as dedicated to their beliefs as Din Djarin. And look at where Bo-Katan is at the start of this season. She's depressed. She's lost her forces. She's barely a leader anymore. She's just self-pitying. And then she sees this guy who, yeah, maybe he's a bit of a religious extremist, but it's, that inspires her to be like, you know what? If, if a guy like this, who's, he's a foundling, he's not an actual Mandalorian by blood, but he is a Mandalorian, maybe more so than any of us, because of his faith in the way. And if he can do this, I can do this, and maybe we can all come back together. Because of, like, so he inspires her to be the chains uh, that will ripple throughout their whole culture. And I think, to me, that's, I, I think I like Din nearly more as a supporting character now, because I just, I have a, I'm a bit of a sucker for for characters like that in Star Wars. It's the same reason Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite character in Star Wars, is because he's not the most important Jedi. He's not the most badass. He's not the smartest, the wisest. You know, he gets his ass kicked all the time. Uh, he's not the main guy by any stretch, but he's a key player in the, like, without Obi-Wan uh, you know, teaching Darth Vader his dynamic with Anakin. Like, Star Wars is not the same. He's just, he's a major, training Luke as well, he's a major supporting character whose decisions impact the real heroes. He's like the key advisor to the main heroes. And what he says has wide-reaching effects across the galaxy. And even at the end, he says, you know, I'll, I'll serve you, Lady Bo-Katan, and, you know. So I think I like... And then he fucks off. He's like, I'll well, serve you till till the end. And then he leaves the next episode to be in a cabin. Well, he's That's still... That's the main problem I've had with, like, this season is that there's a lot of inconsistencies with Din's character and how not a lot of the time it matches up. Whereas, yes, he may not be the best fighter, but in the other two seasons, 
he was definitely more capable than he was less capable. And I feel like he was like portrayed more in this season as less capable in terms of fighting besides flying. Like he's never bad at flying in any of the seasons. He's always an ace pilot no matter what. So thank God they didn't get rid of, uh, take that away from him. But it's just the little things where I know you love the episode, but the second episode where you could argue this is what they were, I, I didn't watch a lot of promotion, but I saw some where they were promoting this like it was going to be the entire season, where it was going to be Mando, uh, Din Djarin specifically, bathing in the waters and uh, reclaiming Mandalore with the other Mandalorians. It's his Bo redemption. Katan was rarely, yeah, his redemption. Bo-Katan was rarely mentioned. I mean, she's in the promotion, but she's rarely mentioned. And he's kind of been given a backseat to this. And in the second episode, he's redeemed already. And then you go, okay, what do we do for four more episodes? And then it's just a lot of, oh, let's bring Bo-Katan and have them, her bond with the other Mandos, which weren't, wasn't bad, except for maybe the fourth episode, where if you cut away credits, it's 24 minutes, which I always a show this. for streaming where most of the times were like 40 minutes or 39 minutes or 50 minutes, a 24-minute episode is kind of a slap in the face. I always hated that the uh, show has done that with its run times. Like, you know, the artist yeah. in me says, hey, you know, I'm glad Disney There's Plus... There's no consistency. I'm glad Disney Plus doesn't force the show to be longer than it needs to be. An episode with that plot line I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to see 40 minutes of. But you're right, it does also feel like we get shortchanged sometimes. So that sucks. Mm -hmm. But in terms of but was, What I was but, talking well, about, yeah. like, what I was talking about in the second episode was... Yeah. So Din's, he's literally just exploring around. He's like, again, he's never, I don't think he's ever been to Mandalore. I can't remember unless he was like a small child. No. I don't think he ever has been. No. And he's exploring Mandalore beneath, and he gets, he does get jumped. All right. Like I'll give him that. He gets jumped twice. I think he gets jumped by the like weird hairy creatures who I don't know what the names of those things are. And he can barely lift up the dark saber and not to say that he was proficient with it in book of Boba Fett or even season two, but at least he was able to swing the fucking thing. And I think like there's a little end canon thing where it's a throwaway line in book of Boba Fett where you have to learn to, he had to learn to use it as an extension or it'll fight against him or something like that. It was kind of, it was while he was pa uh, training with the armor. It was really just kind of a throwaway line that I don't really remember, but Throughout all, most of the promotion for this and all the posters, he's wielding the Darksaber. He uses it once, barely, and then he gives it away. Now, to, to me, that, that's just kind of like, okay. To that point, I will say that is an interesting bit of foreshadowing, though, because if he's even worse with it this season, and then we do see that in the end, he basically just, you know, he finds any loophole he can to give it back to Bo-Katan, that means he's really trying as desperately as he can to not want this thing. So it's fighting him. He wields it worse this season because if that's the lore we've established, this thing fights against you the more you fight with it. That means he wants it even less. Which is kind of a visual representation of how not feeling this th saber thing Din Djarin is right now. So I think that you could spin that into a positive as well. In terms of okay, you're taking the lore and then you know, you're expanding on it in a subtle way. Um, but I... See, okay, what I liked about episode two, and I can refute 
I can only refute so much of that because, like, yeah, Din Djarin wasn't his best showing that episode. I'm, no. you know, I'm inclined to say we all have bad days. You know, why can't the protagonist look a little, you know, he's, he screwed up a couple times. I didn't really have a problem with that as much as you seem to. Just the way it, it was executed. Because the it didn't reason. Really bother, it didn't really bother me. The reason they gave him a bad day was to give Bo-Katan a pedestal to look better. And not to say Bo-Katan isn't a better fighter, because she probably is. But when you effectively write in your episode to make one character weaker, to put another character higher above the list in terms of like, oh, she's much more capable, that's ridiculous to me. And the whole storyline where it's... There's a good ten minutes this could have been cut out where... Mando and Grogu land on Mandalore, go through the cave system, Mando gets jumped, beats off the fairy creatures, walk into the cave more, and then get jumped by the weird robot thing. And then uh, Grogu gets sent off back to Bo-Katan, and she goes through the exact same fucking thing. It's like ten extra minutes of screen time, where it would have just been like, why don't you just have Bo-Katan come with you to begin with? And I know Fair she point. didn't want to, and she thought she was crazy, but just kind of like, it's just like a wasted shot. Was it just to get that shot for all the nerds to drool over of her walking away from the ship? No, like I don't un- like I don't understand it. So it's just it's that, or is it also so that when she saves Dinjarin, it's the reason for him to be able to give up the dark saber to her? Which I don't even know why we're talking about the dark saber at this point because it's fucking gone. First of all, like it doesn't even matter anymore, which is another th- gripe I have with it. I have a lot of I have some solid gripes for the uh, finale, but we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the reason I liked the second episode so much was because that's where things finally started clicking for me. In that, I figured when I saw Bo-Katan and Din Djarin interacting so much in that episode, that made me realize this is what the show's been missing all this time for me. Is I love the parallel between those two characters. On the one hand, you have this Mandalorian by birth, princess, heir to the culture, Lady Bo-Katan Kryze, and as a born and raised Mandalorian, she's, you know, she's the trained fighter. She's the badass we all remember of legend, like the, guy, the one who could go toe-to-toe with a Jedi and live, and like she is the mythic warrior you associate with the Mandalorians. Whereas Din Djarin and his, and his, uh, his kind of culty people, they're mostly foundlings. <laughs> Besides the armor, they're not like born and bred Mandalorians. They're not the badasses you remember. Like, uh, there was one scene, I think, in episode... Actually, I think it was beginning of episode one, when that kid is, uh, is taking his rite of passage, and they're all struggling to fight against this monster. And Justin and I were like, we watched this together, and we thought, the Mandalorian should be way more badass than this. What's going on? And then we realized that, oh, this wasn't a flashback. To be fair, this it's was... a giant monster. I know, but it's just, seeing all these Mandalorians struggle so much is like, okay, so why are the Mandalorians struggling so much? And then we realized, oh yeah, these aren't, the, this isn't a flashback to something. These are just the, the cultist Mandalorians. They're not the biggest badasses, but what they do have is the way. So you have these these actual Mandalorians from Mandalore who were raised in the culture. They are the warriors, but they're broken and purposeless. And then you have these other half of the Mandalorians. You have the way, 
the 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 faith in their religion of weapons and and being warriors and just all the traditions but they they lack being the um the combat capability so in Bo-Katan and Din Djarin in that episode is I saw the two halves of the culture complement each other you have the the warrior half and the traditionalist half that need each other for the culture to fully thrive and that's when I saw where the season was starting to go and that's when everything started just gelling for me right just the vibe worked so well for me because it just it deepens Mandalorian culture you need these two you need you need the training and the tradition for the culture to be whole if you have one without the other it doesn't work because you like the traditionalists are just glorified cultists hiding in caves and the warriors are basically just mercenaries without any real meaning to life I get that but you don't have to make Din look like a fucking idiot he takes one step into water and then sinks like a fucking rock. It makes no sense, like physics-wise or and like to. I've heard people be like, "Well, he didn't know it was that deep." You're telling me the man can't swim? You're telling me that he got knocked out immediately by the like sheer force of the water that he sunk all the way to the bottom? Just makes no sense. Well, we never seen. Like, I just don't try get to, it. We never seen anyone try to swim in our in that armor before. Oh, stop it. Look, it's a little contrived, I'll admit, but, like, I didn't care. Uh, it's like, a mileage will, will vary on it. I didn't think it was so egregious to be pissed off about it myself, but I also get why you're upset about it. It's just, there was probably a better way to handle it, but in terms of how it was executed, I'm like, okay, whatever. Just kind of, eh. It's not, right, yeah, that's a, it's, just, that's a, it's not, it's... That's a way it's to not go. The that that was literally a prime example of hey, we need to make Bogotan look cool, and then give her like this pro this prophecy written thing in her brain where she sees a um mythosaur, a mythosaur, which I didn't know that's what it was at first until like the next episode or two. Yeah. But like I was saying, and you then, didn't even you didn't really need that. That's the annoying thing though is I guess you didn't you didn't even need to make Din look worse because like I said, Bogotan exactly. by all rights should just be better than him. You you don't need to make him look right. So why make Din look worse? You know what I'm saying. What is the point of that? Yeah. And then later on into the season, uh, into the season like two part finale, where he's just an absolute badass and he's capable of fighting people who are also in full Beskar armor. It's yeah. just like comparing the two. It just doesn't make sense. And I think that's why it doesn't bother me so much, is because Din had a lot of great moments throughout the rest of this season. It was just. It was just one. But it's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. It's inconsistent. But I'm like, that's one off episode for him. It's not like he was presented as a loser the entire season to prop Bo-Katan up. It's like, okay, they did it a little at first. And then they, and then they course Bo-Katan and Din Djarin get into a chase with a battle droid who is somehow faster than them. And also, they're both wearing jetpacks and they don't even use it once to catch up to the battle droid makes no sense the only time Bo-Katan used the jetpack was to hop over a garbage can you know that's another kind of funny thing is the inconsistency of the jetpacks this season like in the right. in the finale there was that one guy who just like he flew all the way from the bottom into space 
And then there was that episode mm-hmm. when they were chasing the uh, chasing the bird creature and their jetpacks all ran out of fuel. I'm like, so what is the yeah. range on these things? Yeah, I I kind of it's it's not really explained well, but I kind of went back and looked at that part, and it's kind of edited in a way where they try to make you believe it's been chasing the bird for a while. Okay, it's not like supposed to be. Yeah, so you can get into the but atmosphere faster than. It's just funny you mentioned the jetpack because that's something I I was thinking. Like that's mm-hmm. a little weird. It's weird. To be uh, fair, he wasn't the one who was chasing the bird, so he could have extra fuel, mercenary fuel. True. So in terms of the transition between Din and Bo-Katan, I thought that was handled pretty well from a technical point of view. Um, leave the writing aside for a moment. I thought it was interesting the way the film work told us this transition was happening. Like you start to oh, see sure. more you start to see more and more throughout the season. Bo-Katan is foregrounded, Din is in the background a lot more, sometimes even out of focus. Sometimes Grogu was sitting on Bo-Katan's lap. They were always on her ship. Um, and then even other things like the Mandalorian theme, which has been Din Djarin's theme, doesn't get co-opted by Bo-Katan, but by all the Mandalorians. They don't really play that theme for Din Djarin anymore so much as when all the clans are united or a large group of them are together. It becomes the theme of the Mandalorians as a, as a culture. Once again showing Din Djarin less as a singular force and more of a part of the collective now. So the the filmmaking was pretty interesting just as a subliminally, yeah, he's not the main guy anymore. And you get that without the show outright telling you so. So that's that was a pretty cool way to go about that. Um... And I know a yeah, lot of people are probably upset that he didn't want, he didn't take that leadership role. Like, oh yeah, why didn't Din Djarin take the Darksaber and uh, lead all the clans? I'm like, because he never wanted that. And this isn't just a this season thing either. Back in the finale of season two, when he got the Darksaber, first thing he tried to do was hand it back off to Bo-Katan, who was clearly all butthurt she lost it in the first place, and was like, what do you mean you have the Darksaber? I, I can't take it back now. Nobody will respect me. So she's pissed off she didn't have it. He didn't want it in the first place. He was never good using it. And he basically used the first loophole he could to give it back to her. Like, the leadership thing is not him. He, he didn't want to be the guy who unites all the clans and everything. He's like, look, look, Bo-Katan's a better leader than me. I respect her. I will follow her. I will advise on the way. Uh, like I'll, I'll do my thing, but I don't really want that responsibility. I just want to keep, you know, bounty hunting, raising my kid, you know, fighting or having adventures. Like that's, that's more his speed. He's not the Mandalore type. He's more of a, you know, he's more of a lone warrior who just happens to get in way over his head a lot. So I don't think yeah, that's. Yeah, I hear you. And like it's not it doesn't bother me that much but it does kind of feel like a little bit of a cop out where season 2 ended with this such things like no you're the master of the dark saber now and it's your responsibility and i get like he never wanted that responsibility to begin with i get that but uh i almost compared it to game of thrones but it's kind of spoilerly where it's like it doesn't sometimes it doesn't matter what you want 
It just matters what's good for the people. And for someone who is so religious in the Mandalorian like way, this is the way and all that, for him to just basically kind of be like, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like it's my... Holy shit. I don't know if you heard that. That was a huge lightning strike. Oh, that's uh, that what that was? Just heard... That's just what that was. Like a, like a something fell or something. Wow. Mm-hmm. That felt... That sounded close. Anyway. But, uh... What was he talking... Oh, yeah, responsibility. It's just kind of like... Yeah, I get what you might not, like, want to do it, but also you have this kid here where... You know, and then you have the other Mandalorians as well. I thought it'd be really cool just to see him try. You know, just to try to see... Yeah. And, he, like, he could he could try to bring the Mandalorians together, and they're not really respecting him. And then you could have it where Bo-Katan says, screw it, I challenge you to a fight. And then he's just like, I don't really want to fight you, I'd rather just give this to you. And he's just like, no, you're going to have to fight me. Like, this is the way. And then she says it, and you're like, whoa, crazy. Well, isn't that and- what happened at the end of season two? He's like, okay, fine, I'll fight you for it. And she's basically like, well, I know you want to lose. It's never going to be a fair fight if we do that. So well, he just says, I yield, but it's like, and then Moff Gideon's there talking shit. And right. he's just like, but then, like I'm saying, you have that same scene at the end of episode six with all the Mandalorians surrounding them. And then mm-hmm. they just like, they just fight for real. And maybe Mando has a little bit more um, stakes to this where he's starting to actually take on the responsibility and he's trying. And then maybe you add some other things with Grogu because let's face it, Grogu doesn't do shit besides play paintball in this season mm-hmm. and use the force a couple times. But I also think that's sub- just like, just add like some, just add some stakes to Din's story because this is technically his show. And I now, get is- that you're trying to move over towards Bo-Katan, but you're sidelining Din's story. And yes, again, most of it was solved in Book of Boba Fett. But here's an idea. You take, like, you were given rotten lemons, maybe try to make not-so-shitty lemonade. You know what I mean? Dump a lot of sugar in it. Uh, yeah. As a rebuttal to that, I'll say that that's nearly more the expected way the story would go, I think. And once again, I'm not here to say this is objectively a better way to go, but I kind of like how it's more surprising to me that he didn't really put up a fight. That he was like, that he didn't really have that reason to want to be leader, and he chose not to take it anyway. He's just like, I don't really want this. Here, you you be the leader and I'll support you. That's that's less expected, I think. It's less, you know, grand in scope. It's less climactic. But I think it's nearly more interesting because I'm like, well, yeah, the fact that he'd want to get, he'd want to have the power and want to fight for it. That's what every story like this does. That's the expected way to go. It's more predictable and would be kind of boring, really. I mean, it would, I'm sure it would be very entertaining to see play out if written well. But I'm like, okay, so this way feels anticlimactic and the other way feels maybe too predictable. I don't really know where you go with this story. So I kind of like that they just, just didn't bullshit. I, I like that they didn't bullshit at all. It's like, okay, this is just the way we're going. Just because they make a choice and it's unexpected does not make it better. This is the Game of Thrones season eight writing of stuff where with 
like, yeah, so they do it predictable and it's grand and all that. It would be 10 times more entertaining than what they went with. And this is both for what happened here and Game of Thrones, which I won't even go into spoilers for you, which you will watch one day. One day. Yeah. But just kind of, it's just kind of like when you have, and I'm not saying this is, this is just another Game of Thrones rant. When you are writing, but you're writing with the goal of uh, surprising your audience in a spectacle way and, um, Oh, what's like, I'm, I'm losing it <laughs> where you're trying to make it. You're trying to be shocking. You're not, trying to make it not natural. Yeah, you're trying to be shocking in terms of, you're trying to be shocking just with the feeling of it being shocking instead of it being a natural set up. Well, shock yeah. where as in like, it kind of was set up here in Mandalorian season three where yeah, he doesn't really want the responsibility, but in Book of Boba Fett, you see him in his very first scene wield the dark saber, and you see him train with the dark saber, and I think you see him use it in the finale. I can't be too certain. I don't really remember much from that finale, besides it being like a Robert Rodriguez mess. <laughs> and in this one, he literally pulls it out once, and then he immediately sucks with it. So it's like it's kind of set up, but also just kind of makes him look like okay. He does, he's not even like, it, the whole thing is he's not even conflicted with it too. He just wields it, uh, he sucks at it, never mentions it until it's brought up again in episode six. He's like, oh yeah, Bo, you can have it. I've barely used this. We don't want the budget to use Darksaber. <laughs> right now. What happened with you? One sec. My computer is dying. Okay, Uh-oh. saved it. Saved it. You forget to plug like, in your laptop, sir? <laughs> yes, and I was extra worried because my screen shut off. Like, oh no, did it just die mid-podcast? <laughs> that was close. No, you're good. My ADC is saved for all you to see or hear, depending on and if you watch this. Yeah, that's, yeah. I guess that's just my whole reign with unexpected storytelling. Where, yeah. I mean, yeah, in terms of like, oh, I didn't see that coming. That's kind of cool. But then you start to think about the plot points where it's, it was never really set up for it to be that way. Where if stuff that was unexpected and did happen, you could go back and look and see that it could lead up to that point. Well, it's just like what I'm saying, though. I mean, I feel like this is more how it was set up. I mean, he, he trained with it, but his heart was never really in it. I don't think there was ever really much hints of him... Like, we built up in our heads this story of him wanting to be leader and maybe trying for that, but the show itself never really, never really entertained that idea. That's just something we built up because we right, thought it so would then be cool. If he doesn't care, if he doesn't care, then why do we care about him? Why do we care about Din at all if he refuses to have a story arc? He was like, no, nah, I'm fine with this. Oh, but now I've actually adopted Grogu and he is now officially my son. And we have a little cabin farm. Yep, but that's the thing. Outside we don't. of Carl Weathers Town. We don't, we don't really care. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why we didn't focus so on him. So then what's the point? That's why we didn't what's focus on him What's the point of season three then? But he's the main character of the fucking show. So shouldn't you try to make your but character likable and care for him? But he's, but he's not anymore. That's the point of season three. It's the transition. He's like, his story is done. He's got nothing else to do except be a support character now. 
that's that's what this was. The show's called The Mandalorian. It's not called The Mandalorians, not, plural. Not, the show's called The Mandalorian, not Din Djarin. As long as a Mandalorian Throughout all of season one, he was called The Mandalorian. Multiple times, before Bogatan even showed up. It's been about him. You can, yes, I can see what the writers and the film creators are trying to do with this season. But they're just, they're making Din's story less interesting, less likable. In order to, what the fuck's going on? I'm living in a storm right now. In order to make Bo-Katan's story, and not to say her story would have been less or more interesting if they made Din's story more interesting. I like her story. I like how much they hyped her up in this. This is one of the saving points of this season. But the fact that they just kind of sidelined Din Jarn's story, or just didn't even try to give him a story at all, is just kind of crappy, man. Especially for people who really love Din Djarin. I mean, how many freaking cosplays of, of him are there at any Comic-Con or any fan expo? There's millions. Once again, I think I nearly like Din Djarin more in this role as the advisor, the supporter, the guy who's... Not to say he's a, like a manipulator or anything, but he's kind of <laughs> still the moral compass of the show. It's his faith in his religion and his actions and the allies he meets along the way and has helped, that still lays the groundwork for everything. Bo-Katan is just the one who's, you know, she's the one everyone's got their eyes on. She's the one who's like, oh yeah, you're the princess coming to reunite the Mandalorians and uh, get everybody back on the homeworld. But it's all on the bed that Mando made. You know, it, it's like, it's his world, it's his support cast still, and it's his morality driving the narrative. It's like everything he tried to do, Bo-Katan's just taking up the sword to do it bigger than he had the ambition to do. And it's not like, I don't think they, they didn't sideline him or make his story worse. Like I said, the only thing that would, made, that would have made his story even bigger is going in a direction I don't think the show was ever going anyway. It's all just stories we built up in our head. Like the way they went with him doesn't feel at odds with what they did before. It's just a direction they took that people aren't satisfied with. And it's fine if you're unsatisfied with it, but I don't think it's bad. It's just... Like, I think it's, it's natural. Um, and I, I just... I like Din in this role. As, like, not the main guy, but, like, the chief advisor. So it's... I think it's very... It's a very subjective thing, but it's not outright wrong what they did. I feel like come back in another couple years and you'll look at season three again with more objective eyes, seeing this is part of a bigger picture. And I feel like people will be a little more relaxed about it. They'll just take it for what it is and less what they expected it or wanted it to be. And then I think it'll be better if you're just, if you're just watching the show without any expectations of what it ought to be. And that's kind of how I saw it. My whole problem really... is, is that he doesn't really try, though. Like, as a character, he doesn't really try to put himself in that leadership role. And that's what really he never... bugs me, is that there was no point in... Then, then what he... was the whole point of the setup at the end of Season 2, or in Book of Boba Fett? And I understand he never wanted it, but the fact that they, he doesn't even try, it's just kind of like, okay, well, now I like you less. Well, I'll say, as a counter to that, which you can easily counter in return... He didn't try because he didn't have a reason. 
And the counter to that is, well, why didn't the writers give him a reason? But I'm just saying he didn't have a reason to try. He, it's just kind of something that was thrust on him, and he was like, well, I don't need to do this. I don't really want to do this, so I'm just not going to do this. Which, in terms of the setup they gave for him, is a reasonable choice to make as his character. Ugh, I want to talk about Game of Thrones so bad, you <laughs> son of a bitch. God damn it. Everybody who's listening to this knows what I'm talking about with look, a I get, main character. Look, that I, under, I, don't, I don't know the story, but I'm just going to assume it's something like, it's, you know, uh, it's like that old Shakespeare quote, um, like, some people, um, what's the quote from uh, Twelfth Night? <laughs> some people uh, are born oh, great, and no. some, have, some people are born great, and others have greatness thrust upon them. Something like that. That just that idea. Sure, sure. It's just I'm not going to say who, but there is a certain prophecy that happens in Game of Thrones where it is someone who is built up to take on the Night King and and save the world from what uh, through the Son of Ice and Fire. It's even built up in House of the Dragon because mm-hmm. uh, those two shows are connected. I understand and that reference. They kind of just and they kind of just don't, don't do, do it. Yep. In season eight. That's all I'll say. And it's not because of, oh, this was set up well so that this person could also do it. It was kind of a throwaway line in the same episode, and then that person just ended up doing it. And you're like, okay. So there's no prophecy. And then there's also characters who have a certain responsibility and won't take that responsibility because of they're kind of a simp. Anyway. Anyway. I can't talk about it because you haven't watched it. But I'll, I have a feeling, I've, ugh, I have a small feeling you would actually like season eight. I don't know why, after hearing all of this. Once again, maybe that might be with the benefit of hindsight of not having any expectations built up over years of watching the show. If I watched it all, like binge watched it or saw it within a confined period of time, it probably won't sting as bad as it did for everybody else. I'll say that. Can't say I'll like it or think it makes sense. But it's not going to hurt me quite as bad, I bet, when I finally get there. Mm-hmm. So I be prepared for that. I'm not going to hate. I doubt I'll hate on season eight as much as everybody else seems to. And I, that'll be another unpopular opinion of mine. Yeah, but I'm going. I'm trying we'll to go for that in eight years. It'll that's how long it'll take me. Um, OK, so what else to talk Ridiculous. about? Let's move along from um, should Din Djarin have accepted the mantle. Uh, let's get into some other stuff. Uh, let's go on episode that all kind of spun off from our talk on episode two, but let's go on episode three now. Another controversial one. Oh, That's that one was terrible. That was that was Andor diet. Yes, Andor light. It's kind of like, and I understand. I understand what they were trying to do. Where, okay, let's take these two kind of no name characters from season one and season two. And give them a whole story. But it was just kind of like the entire episode. And it's really weird. And there will be some people who will come at me and be like, well, didn't they do that with Bill and Frank in The Last of Us TV show? It's like, yes, but they were characters in the video game. And that story was actually good. It's all about the writing. This kind of like... This could have been great. you You saw her turn on him from a fucking mile away. She just has... like Now, to be fair to the writers, I think... The buildup of that storyline is good where you have uh, 
empire, ex-empire workers who are trying to get back into the New Republic, and they are put into this kind of, yeah, reintegration camp, Program, yeah. and they're in their own different, they're in their own apartment on Coruscant. I think that part is actually really interesting. And to have ex-Empire people sit around and talk about, well, it wasn't all that bad. What do you miss? Like, oh, I miss the little uh, bread squares that they had. Like, oh, those were so good. I thought that part was really actually kind of interesting where, okay, so the New Republic, yes, they are on the good side, but they're also kind of maybe a little bit um, naive in thinking that, oh, all these people who want to reform actually want to reform instead of them being double spies or triple spies. and. I so that this, that aspect was it was okay, but where I think where this fell apart was making uh, Doctor Pershing's companion that that one girl that worked for Moff Gideon. Yeah, that was like if that character had been somebody entirely new, just somebody else he met in this reintegration program, that could have been a big twist at the end. Like you're kind of strung along wondering what's going on this whole time. And then it actually would have felt like a twist that she's working for Gideon and she betrayed him. Cause, or even mm-hmm. better that it wasn't anything to do with that at all. I kind of like the idea that she just betrayed him because she strung him along thinking he was just an enemy of the Republic trying to restart his old research. And she ratted on him for it, which in the context of the show, she's just doing it because I guess Gideon's trying to get rid of the guy who figured out the cloning technique, try to wipe his mind. But I also, it nearly would be better if it was just a legitimate reformed person ratting out someone they thought was backsliding. It could have been way more interesting. Yeah, I mean, that part confused me as well, where it was like, okay, she's double-crossing him because she wants to continue his research. But they don't, she doesn't want them to know that Moff Gideon is also doing the same research and wants to eliminate all of the strategies why not just shoot him in the fucking head like why go on this entire and again then you won't have this episode there's that but there's it's just like you go on this insane mission with this guy and like befriend him and i guess like just to show how the empire's evil but a part of me is just kind of like and is the doctor dead or is he just probably clinically insane at this point because he's put into the torture device where he's just fucking that a part of me is Part of me is that really funny. It's like, oh, this was a torture device, but we've reformed it to be this kind of therapeutic thing. But we still have the danger setting on it. Just yeah. shows how kind of dumb the New Republic is, and I kind of love that. Yeah. They, they use Imperial technology and claim it safer, but they still, like, it's still Imperial technology mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Commentary on our governments? I think not. Wink. <laughs> yeah. You take the old stuff and say it's a it's a newer better version of it like but it's just as dangerous um yeah but i I thought this episode i was interested at first and then i just got steadily less invested as it went which kind of sucks pretty sure it's the longest episode although i will say that dogfight at the start um with Mando and Bokatan was really cool when they were trying to outrun the Imperial bombers and they blew yeah. up Bokatan's castle. Like the beginning of the episode was great. And the end well, the visual they... effects are really good. Yeah. Uh so then we get to episode four, and that one was the one where they, they just they save uh the kid from the bird. Mm-hmm. Uh now the only thing I'll say about this episode is uh this episode started a, a running gag at work where we watched the work we watched the Mandalorian on the TV screen in the break room, basically 
every week it came out for the back half of the show. And ever since then, like my boss started joking that he thought it was Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the suit. <laughs> so ever since then, we called, uh, we started calling Pre Vizsla the Rock. Every time he showed up, we're like, "Hey, it's the Rock." <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so that's all. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that. in like the fourth episode was Ahmad Bass, and that was it. Oh yeah, Keller and Just like his. That was a great cameo. Yeah, his. Sure. You fucking nerd. Anyway. <laughs> B-E-Q, Beck. Uh, did they even say his name in the episode? I don't even remember. No, but I guess he... Maybe that character had been in something before because he had a name, like, very quickly. So... I guess. I just thought it was... I mean, that's, that's a great... Like, yeah. I just you, you assume that's uh, Grogu's master. That's what I assumed watching it. I'm curious if he'll show back up again in another flashback. Because what I liked about that is that in season one and two, they, we have seen Grogu remembering this moment before, just the beginning. But now mm-hmm. he seems to be remembering more. So does we, do we get that backstory later? Do we see what happens to Keller and Beck and how he loses Grogu to bounty hunters in the first place? And so if they, if they keep going with season four, I'll be... I hope they continue that storyline because I want to see more of Ahmed I mean, Best. Give him going, a bigger role. <laughs> it's going to be interesting because this is set during the Purge, and then what is it? Third and Mandalorian is set five year or five years after Return of the Jedi or something like be, that. We got to be ten years after so, now. There was clearly a time skip for, for this season. It's possible. There was a like there yeah, had to just, be. A, I, huge skip well that's what i mean like original mandalorian season one was, was about six five years. years after i think yeah five or six years yeah something ago. like that so where the fuck was grogu throughout that entire time would be like kind of interesting but i don't feel like i would watch a whole season of that just a puppet <laughs> yeah going from place to place all right so then episode five was the this was the, the Star we, Fox episode. Ah uh, yes, yes, where they fight the pirates. Ah, uh, this one was mm-hmm. good. Coolest part was when the Mandalorians all converged on the city, and I love how the armor mm-hmm. doesn't fight with guns. She only fights with her. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's an amazing detail. She's so badass; she doesn't even need guns. Uh, I also like how it pays off some story threads that have been running through the show from the very beginning. The first time we see these people on this planet, they're living in the sewers and now they're welcome back as heroes, mm-hmm. get a plot of land. It's just a nice parallel to yeah. a couple seasons ago. feels like some natural payoff for how well, I forgot it was going. the same city. Yep. I forgot it was the same planet in the same city. It just yep. looked totally different. Which is why I think there's got to be a huge time skip between season one and now like, more time has passed than the show lets on. Like, I mean, to think you about know, even episode construction is in Star Wars. But think about episode three with Doctor Pershing. He's already been through this entire reintegration program. Like, yeah, he he had to go through this whole process of deprogramming just between season one and now, and like that had to be at least months, if not years, of work oh, for just sure. for him to be a, a working member of society again. Uh, so not a lot to say about episode five. Uh, episode six, controversial. Controversial one. Uh, Christopher Lloyd was great in it. 
Jack Black is always mm-hmm. good. I don't have any complaints yeah. there. Uh, Lizzo's acting was a bit wooden, but she was whatever. She's I guess not she really did. an actor. Yeah. yeah, which is fine, I guess. Um, I, I think it's a hot take to say I actually like this one because this one was. Fine. I know. I know a lot of people of are like it yeah. felt like filler. Yeah, I just like seeing Din and Mokotan and like a lower stakes buddy cop adventure where it was kind of like a crime scene right. investigating. He was bad cop fighting like all oh, well, the droids and he was like treating the droids really badly and she was trying to be the friendlier one. It was just like like a cop show set in Star Wars just for one episode and I thought that was just a really cool. If you just like watch that episode for fun, I think I could rewatch that one. It, it was fine, cool... but it took like thirty minutes to get back to the plot, which didn't really make sense. It's like it's like the mercenaries are outside of the city. They could have just gone to it. It was like, oh, we can't let you do that because you know, against her, like we own them now. Like be like, I don't. Who fucking cares? We're gonna go anyway. Like, yeah. why do they care? They're in a city I... where there's no weapons. They're in a city where there's no weapons. There's no guards. Everything's done by battle droids. Are they gonna get arrested? No. True. They could have just gone towards it. I just, I just felt care. like hmm, we signed on. We signed on three major actors. Oh fuck, we forgot to put them in five episodes. Let's throw them all in. In episode six. I, the reason I didn't care about this one is because I figure I call Mandalorian uh, like side quest the series. Like people are upset about filler now, but once again, this is something that's been there from day one. Every season is interesting hook mm-hmm. that basically just devolves into a series of like. Uh, standalone side quest episodes until the last two episodes wrap everything up. So people are complaining a lot about this one. They're like, oh, it's a filler episode. Why didn't it get back to the plot? What's up with all the cameos? And I'm like, this feels like every other season to me. I guarantee you episode seven's going to do something really big and get the plot back on track for the first time this season. Oh, because that's the formula. And then it did. And I'm like, see? That's how this show is every year. Why don't people see the pattern? And why are they mad about it now? I just don't understand. Like, this is the same show we've always had. Why are you getting mad about it this year? If you go back to when season one aired in that filler episode, I think it's the fifth one where they're in the desert. That's the one people really did not like. Yep. And I can't, uh, season two, I'm trying to think of the filler episode. I can't honestly remember. Maybe you could argue the one where he meets up with Bill Burr again, but in that one, it had like one of the best scenes ever no, filmed. that one. Best dialogue that, scenes written recently. That one was important um, for a few reasons. Even the Boba Fett one was one kind of, the Boba two. Fett one was kind of filler, I guess. Kind of. Not really. But, um,. Oh no! Oh, it was I guess the frog you lady. No, no, it was the frog the lady one. Spider one. It was, it was, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It was the frog lady one where they crash landed in the uh, yeah glacier. But that was kind of like a little uh, free Halloween special because it came out around the same time. I, I think it was released like around October thirtieth or something like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. But with this one, I think people are just more upset that they're still doing this formula where it's just kind of. Uh, and a lot of TV shows do this, or a lot of. I guess general TV shows will do filler because they need to put in filler. But the fact that they kind of rushed some of the story in Book of Boba Fett and also in the first two episodes, and then they were like, okay, well, now we have to put in filler. Well, you put yourself in that spot. So, Can we just agree? And the, this and the way this filler just... 
Can we just agree this season is leagues better than Book of Boba Fett, though? I don't want the discussion to put these two on level playing fields. This is Which a f- parts of Book of Boba Fett? <laughs> okay, fine. We're not talking about episodes five I and would six. Put epi- yeah, I would put episode five leagues above anything that happened in this season. But for and the I, entire I, show, I'd probably put season three a little bit above Book of Boba Fett. Oh, I think it's far better than Book of Boba Fett. And just is a general thing like to me the because you don't give a fuck about din and i do that's the whole thing it's like you don't care about the main character that much and he's just shoehorned away and that's the whole problem that people are having with this season i think you are very much you are very much over you're overstating it he's not shoehorned away he's just put aside a little bit he's not the main focus anymore but it's not like he's two different words same definition He's not pushed to the side, shoehorned away. He's not absent or written off or character assassinated. He's just not in it as prominently as he was. And that's fine. Like, it's not. Is it? Is it when you're promoting the entire show and he's on the cover of every single thing and in every single clip of the trailer? That's what I'm talking about, though. Promotion is bullshit. This is why I'm saying a couple years from now, nobody will care. Because right now we're just watching this with the height of expectations for what we were fed in advertising. Everyone goes into this with such preconceived notions, and now we're all let down when it wasn't. So then it's what false advertising. It Basically, yeah. Blame mm-hmm. the advertisers, not That's the show. That's why people shit on Halo Five. The show which is, is fine. huge false advertisement as well. I think Mandalorian season it's three fine. is. Mandalorian season three is perfectly fine. People are just going into it with the wrong mindset, which I think happens a lot more in entertainment now than ever because there's so much prominent advertising hype but but i think that's my thing is the reason i have so many hot takes is because i don't go in with advertising i go into most things pretty cold just with the weight of nothing behind me and that's Mm -hmm. you know that's why my takes on stuff like i don't know marvel or a bit more conventional oh season phase four is you know worse okay well i follow that a lot so i follow the discussions a lot i know you know like my feelings about something like that are a lot more unbiased because I'm in the thick of the discussions a lot more. Something like this, I I didn't really care enough to get into the hype all around. So I'm just coming in as somebody watching it casually and it's like it's good. It's not great, but to me it's as good as the first two seasons. It entertained me as much. I care about as much. I'm as about emotionally invested, but I what I will tell you is that I think it's even better in many ways. Because where the first two seasons really fell short for me was in its supporting cast, uh, in a lot of the action, uh, a lot of the special effects as well. Uh, I think this season did way better in many regards. The supporting cast finally is given stuff to do. Characters like the Armor and Bo-Katan and Grief Karga, they're finally given more to do than just show up once a year for a couple cool moments. Like, they actually have character arcs and they have things happening and they show up multiple times in the season and they're actually treated like characters on a regular show, not just someone Din runs into on occasion. So, like, I love that the supporting cast got more to do. The action scenes felt more varied this year. Last year, I felt like every single episode was just, let's go into this bunker and kill as many stormtroopers as possible. And then there'll be the occasional standout scene, like, I don't know, fighting dark troopers. And were the action scenes in this season spectacular? 
no, but they felt more varied. I was more, I never felt bored watching them, at least. So to me, that's a step up. And just, I think the themes were deeper this season as well. The other seasons were very simple. It was just, okay, this is a story about um, bonding with this foundling. Uh, Season two is, let's get the foundling back home. But season three is this really deep story about, like I was saying earlier, the different sides of a culture having to, the traditionalists versus the practicalists having to come together to be better than the sum of their parts, fighting opposing forces, having to retake their home planet. The scope is way bigger. There's a lot more going on. Uh, I also love that it deepened just the general lore of the world. This season, we see a whole lot more about what's the Imperial Remnant doing? What's the New Republic up to? Like People trying to reintegrate from Imperials into the New Republic. We see how the New Republic can't handle the Outer Rim. They barely handle the Mid-Rim. The New Republic is faltering on many fronts, politically and militarily. We see more about Mandalorian culture. Everyone's coming to get, like, get teases to Thrawn, stuff for the future. Like, so much more that I thought the first two seasons were lacking was in here. Like, there's a lot more going on, and there's a lot that it does well that people aren't talking about. Like, they're just talking about, okay, maybe the, like, the execution isn't always as strong as some of the first two seasons, but it does a lot well. And it just, I feel like people need to talk more about that stuff. So that's some of my rant on that. I would agree that a lot of the side characters are now given more of character arcs and not just kind of in one episode, it's kind of a cameo here, and then another episode is a cameo here, and then later on all the cameos come together to fight the bad guy at the end. They're all given character arcs. But who's not given character arc? It's Din and Grogu. And you say he does and he becomes more of a supporting character. But it's just, he's kind of just like, yeah, I don't really care. You have this. You have that. I'll just, and then I'll come at the very end and fight Moff Gideon and then kind of suck. So, like, I understand what you're saying where, yes, a lot of the elements in the show, they have grown and done better i like the world building is definitely a bit better everything Some got better visual, i think the everything got better but din Djarin. he's like and he was the focus before but like everything in this show around din Djarin took a step up this year and i think that's that's mm. the thing people aren't considering your main characters took a back seat but everything else got better mm-hmm. so yeah, like I, sure. I don't know can you live with that i don't know like you seem to have a very big problem with that, and I get that, but I'm just saying this is why I can live with it. It's just because the show, in many ways, took a step up this year. It's just... I hear you. It's just kind of... It's just uh, literally my review of this season is just underwhelming. It just it just feels like an underwhelming season because there's a lot of build-up and a lot of world-building to it, and then in the finale, it just kind of ends. That I will. Where you're just like, oh, okay. I want to talk. I want to talk about the finale now, a little bit because I I agree with you that it was underwhelming for um, especially after you watching what. the seventh episode where it was like, oh wow, this was a really awesome episode. Cannot wait to see what happens. And then episode eight is happening, and I'm like, wow, this is going amazing. This is going great. And then it just is over. And you're like, oh, that's it. 
I'll tell you what I've got mixed feelings about. And once again, this is a subversion of expectations, maybe not being a good thing. Mileage may vary. But what got me was, and I don't know whether to love or hate this, but when Din Djarin is running through the base, and then he finds that room of all these clone Moff Gideons, and we're like, oh, that's interesting, yeah. all these clone Moff Gideons, and then he just destroys them, and we're like, okay, Moff Gideon's tracking him, so maybe he let him do this, maybe he's, like, maybe this was part of the plan, and then he just finds Moff Gideon, and Gideon was like, you destroyed all those, you ruined my plans, I'm gonna kill you for this. Yeah, that was weird. So then, I'm, so part of me is like, okay, on the one hand, you, you, uh, you broke the formula in probably a bad way. He foiled the main guy's plan when for three years we don't know what Gideon's actually up to. You finally told us what he was up to after Mando already thwarted it. But then the other part of me is like, basically everything in the history of ever has the bad guy monologue to the hero about what he's doing just in time for the hero to stop it. And I kind of like that the hero stumbles into the plan ass backwards, foils it, and didn't even know what he was doing. He just was like, yeah, this seems like something I should destroy. It's like in a video game sometimes where you're, uh, like, you're just exploring the world, and then sometimes you find like you just loot random places, and then sometimes you talk to an NPC way later, and they're like, oh, well, uh, you should go to this place and get this item. Oh, I already did that, actually. Uh, here you go. That's what it felt like. <laughs> like Mando, Cap, Mando did too much world exploration and, and did the quest before he needed to do the quest, which I've never really seen play out on TV before, which is what, like I said, that's why I'm mixed on it. Cause part of me is like, I've never seen this before, but also it feels weird. So the reason I think it's just very underwhelming is because. It's set up to be, like, Moff Gideon is going to be this huge conflict, and not just at the end of this episode, but later on in another season, maybe in the Dave Filoni movie, who knows. He's, you can see he's in the suit, he's much more powerful, you can hear the gear shifting, he's stronger than Mando, he's stronger than Bo-Katan, he's rented Praetorian guards, he's got clones of himself that he is trying to infuse, or has probably infused the Force with. And he just kind of dies. He's set up to be this great menacing. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. He's not fully dead. There's no shot he's fully dead. He's got another clone somewhere off world. I agree. They'll probably factor that into. But just here, it's kind of like they hype up this main Moff Gideon to be the ultimate bad guy for all the Star Wars shows that are going on. And they kind of just, he kind of just dies. And not even in a like, a spectacle way he just kind of goes no and like yeah it's cool a ship falls on him but even then where it's oh i'll you go destroy the cruiser it's okay we'll go destroy the cruiser and then the cruiser gets destroyed but all the little tie fighter ships are gone too so now in the back of my mind is it did this one cruiser take down all these little tie fighter ships when it was just one person piloting it because that's really fucking stupid if that's what happened and then he just kind of gets crashed into a gets crashed into him, and you're just kind of like, okay. And then I even fast-forward to see an end credit scene of Moff Gideon climbing out of the debris, and there's no end credit scene. So you're just kind of like left with, what is getting me, what's going to get me hyped for season four? Because right now it's nothing. I'm I'm not excited for it at all. 
Okay, I got a lot to address there. So the first thing that like that was the point of all the TIE fighters going after one ship with the pilot. Because his whole point was they're all coming for this ship. So you guys all get down to the ground to help Bo-Katan. I'll be the distraction on this ship. Draw all the fighters away. So right. that I, that so I where are all the get. fighters? Afterwards? Okay, now I have no excuse for yeah. that. That's no my idea. point. Like, where the fuck are all they? Guess they clearly Are they just gone? Were they just destroyed and then the ship went down? Because that's stupid. Uh, I think he got some of them. He probably got some of them. Probably took out some others on the way down. Uh, Mandalorians probably cleaned up a lot of the others afterwards. Uh, They had ships, too. I digress. Uh, I was shocked there was no post-credits scene, either. I was waiting for it the whole time. And this is me finally bringing my own expectations into this and being disappointed because I wanted to see a tease for Thrawn. And I'm like, well, I mean, they already set him up as the villain of the Ahsoka show. You give a casting news at Star Wars Celebration just like a few weeks before this finale. You mentioned him by name in the seventh episode and had him teased as this guy in the shadows running the Imperial Remnant. And then nothing. I'm like, what? All the all the signs pointed to a cameo, <laughs> or mm. something to set up the Ahsoka or show. Something, just something. I'm like what? Like the? not even to set up the Ahsoka show, but also set up like Dave Filoni's movie. And I know it was just announced, but not to even give like a little tease about what it could be. It's just kind of I feel like a missed opportunity. Not to say that it was bad, but it just feels missed. The other thing I'll address is I definitely think that a clone of Gideon is out there, probably one that has the Force. So he'll be back next time, but even a bigger threat. Now that he's... Yeah, probably with Thrawn. Yeah, now or that he's got the powers. Thrawn gets defeated in Ahsoka's show. I don't even know. Yeah, so then the other thing I'll say is... Uh, what was the last thing I wanted to address there? Uh, yeah, the finale, not being hyped about Season 4. This is kind of a weird way to end season three, but it nearly seems like this could be a series finale if they didn't get a season four or they chose not to. And it nearly feels to me like the last act of this episode was nearly probably written one way and maybe rewritten to fit this ending. It's like somebody said... It felt a little rushed. Yeah. It's like somebody said, "Uh, we don't know if we're going to get a season four. Can you rewrite the last act so that it feels like it could be the end? Just in case. Mm -hmm. That's how this feels to me. And I bet you the behind the scenes won't come out on this for years. But I would not be shocked if somebody was like, we don't know if we're actually going to do more. Try to wrap this up. And they're like, oh, crap. Okay. Yeah, I guess we can do that. I, I have no other excuse for why this last, like, 15 minutes felt so rushed and so final. Mm hmm even some of the action was kind of underwhelming. Even these past two episodes. I thought they were fine. It was like, okay, so the bad guys, they are not Mandalorians, but they have Beskar armor. That's interesting. And most of the Mandos, uh, Mandalorian cults, don't have Beskar armor. They have maybe remnants of it. Yeah. And not a lot of them die, which is fine. It's a Disney show. I would expect that. Which is kind of like a lot of it is just people shooting at people 
And then a lot of people kind of going down and then getting back up. And then Mando or Bo-Katan or the Vizsla guy walking up to them and finding their weak spot. The only, like, actual good, like, really good action piece that I can think of is um, Mando in the, like, the laser shields. hallway. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that's the only, like, good one I can think of. But all the other ones are kind of just, like, underwhelming. Not yeah. that you need giant spectacles, but there's definitely bigger set pieces in the last few seasons than this one. Yeah. But I also kind of liked how, like, when they get to the planet and that giant monster bursts up, I'm like, oh, here we go, another mm-hmm. drawn-up monster fight, and then they just leave. They oh. just fuck off. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want... That was I wasn't pretty funny. Here. I wasn't here for another monster fight. We've seen enough of those in this show. Uh, one thing I want to bring up, though, because... I know some people are going to complain about it. Why were the stormtroopers still easy enough to kill with the Beskar armor? My argument to that... Because they're stormtroopers. Well, yeah. Plain the argument, simple. The argument I've been saying to that for the last couple of weeks is, I'm like, look... Let's, they fly let's now? A, I'm like, yeah, they fly now. <laughs> let's get a blacksmith in here and give them a forge. And this blacksmith makes a set of armor out of Beskar, right? Give me the same materials and a forge. I could probably make armor. It would not be as good armor, though. Like, same materials, same equipment. The blacksmith knows how to make good armor. Just because the the Imperials have Beskar doesn't mean they know how to make quality Beskar armor. And that's my argument to that. So well, it was just confusing where when the like stormtrooper like the imperial beskar wearers did go down it wasn't very clear on how they were able to get killed that's the only like it's and it's a small gripe it's just like a little nitpick where it's not really well explained that well where say something like in uh the movie Dune where everybody's got these shields where everybody's got like a quick jab and it protects them from it but if you go in slow then you're able to bypass the shield and then kill the person. That's yeah. that's interesting in a way to have people understand, okay, that's how they get defeated here. Where here it's just kind of like, oh, some of them, I guess, got tired. Or, sure. you know, it could be maybe even like a throwaway line where the armor looks at it and just goes like, this is junk. <laughs> like <laughs> something like that would have been... Yeah, that would have helped. Would have been interesting. But, like, at this point, I was just kind of like, okay, I can't wait to see Moff Gideon fight Bo-Katan. And then she gets her ass handed to her. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then, oh, here's my other gripe with it, too, where it didn't really make sense with me with Moff Gideon, where he just destroys the Darksaber. Like, this is something he is obsessed with. He is obsessed with Mandalorian culture. He's obsessed with Mandalore. He's obsessed with Beskar. Obsessed with cloning. Obsessed with Grogu. I don't believe Moff Gideon, the character, would destroy such a, like, a relic of Mandalorian culture, like the Darksaber, and be fine with it. You could make the argument the he reason- was so far gone, and he was so, like, in, like... My um, argument for that, when I watched it, I thought the same thing, but then I thought, in defense of that, maybe it wasn't the Darksaber that appealed to him, but just how he got it. That he forced the entire culture to... Like, this entire badass culture to bend their knees to him. He got their leader, Bo-Katan, to surrender to him by giving him up this blade. Made them look like absolute fools in front of the Imperials. To me, maybe it wasn't so much about... 
I wanted the Darksaber because it's this relic and I like the culture, but more they surrendered it to me and made me feel like a badass. So maybe that's why he was okay destroying it. Just because it was like, look, I'm beating you again. The weapon doesn't matter. The point is that I beat you. And I am beating you now, again. I guess, but it just kind of felt kind of like, hmm, let's be shocking here a little bit. It's like the weapon didn't matter. The fact that I beat you mattered. You think the weapon matters more than it does. Because, like, Bo-Katan is fighting him with it, like, like okay, yeah. here's, my, here's my second chance. And then he just destroys it, and he's like, that wasn't the point. The saber wasn't the point here. It's just like, it's built up more in your mind. So that, uh, that's well, my for Mandalorians. Only... The thing is, with Mandalorians, it is the point, though. So that is kind of well, it's a, like a huge low blow. Well, yeah, I so know. that's I just, interesting. That's just my perspective on it. I think it's just a power move. He didn't really care about the I saw the a meme where just... it was like, I saw a meme was like the, like Disney over Moff Gideon and then Mando's storyline. And then as he crushes it, <laughs> like <laughs> over the Darksaber and then just throws it away. That's funny. So that was pretty funny. Uh, my yeah, just about... to me there, I was like, it's, it's just a point where it's like, I don't think he would want to destroy it. I think he's so obsessed with beating Bo-Katan. I feel like he would love it more if he had this. Yeah, maybe he doesn't care about the saber, but I think he would love it more if he just had the saber. But, True. you know, it's it's a choice Possibly. and I'm not that butthurt about it. My other thing about Gideon And maybe, was, who knows, maybe really... he maybe she fucking fixes it. Maybe she fixes it in possible. the Ahsoka show or in Dave Filoni's movie. I mean, like, Ray kind of fixed the broken saber in the sequels, so. I don't kind know. of. She, like, fully fixed it with a piece of leather. That was it. She just kind of wrapped it up. I don't know. Sabers can yeah. be fixed, maybe. And then uh, she buried that... it in the desert. <laughs> <sighs> don't get me started. The other thing well, we I want buried that... his in the desert, too, so. Anyway. Yeah, but she, bu- she buried it in the desert thinking it's some kind of memorial when the Skywalkers all hated that planet. Like, you're bringing us back here because of nostalgia, not because it makes sense to bury it here. I digress. Moff Gideon's I don't like, plan... I don't, like my, I don't like my hometown very much, but if I'm buried there, I'm not gonna... I'll be fine with it. <laughs> the like Skywalker's entire arc in these movies was, I want to get off Tatooine ASAP. Anakin's like, I'm a slave here. My mother was enslaved here. Died by its inhabitants. Uh, my stepbrother was okay, I guess. And Luke was like, this is a boring farm world. I want to be anywhere but here. My entire life's purpose is to get off this planet. My parents, well, I think my storyline was, was. <laughs> I still your family like got to visit. Anyway, your family got murdered too. And you wanted to leave. And don't ruin my backstory, Joe. Jesus. <laughs> right. Oh yes. This is the, D&D it's not that story. bad. Don't worry about it. Anyway, I didn't get Moff Gideon's plan. Because, once again, I have no idea what his like plan he, is. He was watching Mando. Like, he, he lured the Mandalorians here. It all kind of started going bad for him. He was tracking Mando through the thing. And then he kind of just. Like, was he not following him? Could he not have tried to stop him from destroying all those clones? Yeah. And, like, what, what was the plan here? What was he doing with that ambush? I don't. Like, whatever he was trying to do didn't work out. My only, once again, this is me just spinning to make it make sense. But the only thing I could think of was that he was just super overconfident in himself mm-hmm. in multiple ways. He thought, okay, well, I got this plan that can't fail. I'm going to ambush them and that'll be it. 
I'm going to capture Din Djarin and only put three guys on him, because no way he can beat that, right? He can't take out three guys. Not all these Mandalorians are going to escape. I got them where I want them. I'm going to win. And then he just totally underestimated them the entire time, which makes sense for his character. He's just overconfident and underestimates his foes because Imperial might trumps all no matter what. That's the only way Mm -hmm. it makes sense to me is he just, he just underestimated, like as a connoisseur of Mandalorian culture, even he underestimated how strong their willpower actually was to not be broken by the hand they're dealt. He's like, well, yeah. I beat you once. I have too. no idea what his I have no idea what his grand plan is now, though, because there was a lot of a uh, theories back in the first season that he was going to be somehow what led to the creation of Snoke, because right now he is in the midst of cloning people with the Force. Never been done. Which, which is what Snoke eventually became. So I don't. I I feel like they're going to try to tie that into that as well, but. I'm also just kind of like, I don't care about this guy's grand plan anymore. I liked his suit, and I liked how he was an actual fighting foe against Din and Bo-Katan. And I liked, it. I liked a little bit of action there, too, where they were teaming up together. And when Bo like slid over to protect Din from the blast, that was pretty cool. But he just kind of dies. He's like, okay, the main threat is just gone. Or, I don't know, man, like... We don't see a body, but we can just assume he's dead, because who survives, like, a fiery blast like that? I thought they were going to pan over, and it was just going to be a pile of Beskar armor on the ground, with, like, ashes next yeah. to it. Or he's just solidified, like, in absolute burnt, like, crisp. That would have been fucking cool. But he's just, they just don't pan over at all. And then they're like, okay, let's do, uh, quickly, let's do everybody's storyline. Okay, uh, Grogu adopts Din, or Din adopts Grogu. Uh, Bo-Katan lights the, the, uh, the forge, and then they get a cabin. All right, we're done. <sighs> I got an even better ending for Gideon. You see half his face melted off, he adjusts his Beskar armor and falls over. <laughs> nice. Uh, so the... What was my next thought? I had another thought. Don't you hate it when thoughts escape you? That sucks, doesn't yes. it? Now I'm just stalling until I can think of what I was thinking about again. Um, damn. Well. You got it. Nope, I don't. (laughs) I completely lost it. Anyway, the... Shoot, now it's going to bother me. What the hell was I thinking? You have any other thoughts to stall while I'm thinking? Not really. I think I've said everything I wanted to about this season. It just felt very underwhelming. Whereas in season, at the end of season one. Yeah, season one kind of just left on a cliffhanger with Moff Gideon climbing out of the TIE fighter with a Darksaber. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I like this show. Where does it go from here? And then at the end of season two, you have uh, Din taking off his helmet, Grogu looking at him for the first time being like, oh, wow, Pedro Pascal. And then goes away with Luke. He now has the Darksaber. And they're kind of like, oh. Well, what happens here? I'm very interested to see what happens to their story. He gets rushed in Book of Boba Fett. He gives up the Darksaber real quick. And then he, they just kind of defeat the villain at the end of the season again for a third time. And you're like, okay, great. Just give me the Ahsoka show. <laughs> and once again, you're just going over the cliff notes of Mando's story. Now I remember the thing I was going to say, so I'll circle back to that. 
What I want to see going forward for Moff Gideon is I want to see a little bit of a, an Imperial Civil War with Thrawn. Because mm. what I loved was interesting. one of the coolest scenes in this season was that little council meeting. And I love that line when the guy was like, yeah, they think we're just a bunch of warring, a bu- like a bunch of independent warlords fighting each other. But the, like, that's not like they're an actual council. They're still united, which I thought was amazing. Great twist there. And I also liked uh, one of the guys was named Hux. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they mentioned Thrawn and I just love Gideon's power move. Like, yeah, we're all going to give you this much. And he's like, oh yeah, and I want extra ships too. And so he kind of strong arms them into giving more. And I'm like, Thrawn's not in this meeting, but I think he's going to be pissed. Like, because everyone getting a certain amount of things, but nobody knowing the whole plan is a very Thrawn move. And Gideon taking extra supplies out of line is something that would piss Thrawn off, right off. So the fact that Gideon's going rogue and trying to get this Beskar armor and clone himself and all that, I bet Thrawn is like, I've got a master plan going, and you're not being a team player. You are screwing everything up, and you are a loose, like, you're, you're a loose thread. We need to cut off now. And he's like, well, I got clones of me who are Force-sensitive, so you screw off yourself. So I think there could be a really interesting plot line for, like, an Imperial Civil War here. Whoever wins could form the, form the First Order in the ashes of it. Um, so, yeah, but once again, you, you went over the cliff notes of Mando's story, which is underwhelming. But once again, going over the cliff notes of the other people's story, Bo-Katan goes from this self-pitying person who's lost everything to regaining her faith, redeeming herself in the eyes of the cultists enough that they decide that she has to be the balance between the traditionalists and, the, and everybody else. She earns the respect of all, gains the, gains the dark saber back, fights her, own second, her old second-in-command to earn their respect back too, and leads the combined people in a, you know, they help save the planet from pirates, start getting respect from the New Republic and from the Midrim and just, like, in general for the feats they've done. And then they go back and retake their home world. They reveal that she was the one who lost Mandalore in the first place. She gets a rematch with Gideon to redeem herself. Like, it's about... We thought this story was going to be about Mando's redemption, but it was about the redemption of Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. So wait, like, like that's what the season was. It was a redemption. So call it. So then call it Bo-Katan. Don't call it the Mandalorian. It was a Mandalorian redemptive story. It just wasn't the one we thought it was going to be. So that's what I'll leave it with. It was what we thought it was, but not exactly. No, it's not what we thought it was, Joe. Just call it the Bo-Katan. Like, do, like, a one-off series Bo-Katan show. Just do that. And then you can still have these aspects happen with Mandalorian in it. Or uh, Mando in it. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Mandalorian Season 3. Not mind-blowing, but I still think it's worth a watch. It's good TV. I think people should still watch it. Yeah, it's fun. It's It's not outright terrible. I think it's it's better than terrible. It's like it's good. Yeah, it's fine. 
It's not great. It's not bad. It's just, it's good. It'll entertain you. It's worth a watch. And uh, unless you've got yeah. any more thoughts, I'm done. Um. No. No. I'm kind of tapped out. <laughs> yeah, it's just all this it's, debate. It's just it's very interesting. All this debate. It's tiring. Yeah. All right, let's plug our socials and uh, do our next debate. All right. Well. You can find me at Ryan Walker official on Instagram and on YouTube. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Play Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us on audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where Ryan and I debate whether Guardians of the Galaxy 1 or 2 is a better movie. Uh. So, till next time, this is the way. I have spoken.